asked me something. He wondered if their power was the form of the next stage that human evolution was taking, and perhaps we would all be able to control it someday. <laughs> Scientists are a bunch of romantics. Military men, on the other hand, always consider the risks first. Over 30 years it's taken. We've come so far crawling up from the rubble. We can't just trade one for the other. But I've always thought that you held a resentment, even a hatred for this city, Colonel. The passion to build is cooled, and the joy of reconstruction forgotten. Now, now it's just a garbage heap made up of a bunch of hedonistic fools. But in spite of that, you're trying to save the city. I'm not a scientist. I think like a soldier. Episode 93 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Uh, show news? Got any show news this week? Playing Dragon's Crown. Dragon's Crown. I went and saw Empire of the Sun in concert. What is Empire of the Sun? I thought that was a movie. It is, and it's also a J.G. Ballard book, which has absolutely nothing to do with the pop act Empire of the Sun. There's sort of a mix of, like, David Bowie and Cirque du Soleil. Uh, I guess that's probably maybe the best description. It's what the kids are into, or at least uh, all the gay shirtless men that were surrounding me. Uh, oh, just time. a second. Let me write down. What is the name of this band again? i got to check them out in concert. <laughs> Empire of the Sun. You realize that a mix of David Bowie and Cirque du Soleil makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't, but it did. I don't know how to explain it. No, they were, it was an amazing show. I, I was uh, visually entertained and uh, lamented my lack of drug use at the time. It was po- really good pop music, and I hate pop music. I like to listen to levy me- heavy metal and ambient techno. And so I guess was, this, uh, is, this is a wife's uh, interest? No, that was all my own. I, I, what? I, I somehow stumbled across them, don't know how. And, right. uh, well, good. That makes that means you're still young at heart, Matthew. You're listening to new extant music. Amazing. I guess. Uh, all I know is if you check out their album covers online, you you can't help but want to go to their shows. They have the most amazing looking album covers, especially if you're a sci-fi uh, nerd like myself. Is there anything like that one Air album cover that you really liked? Uh, it was like Ten Thousand Hertz Legend. Uh, With, it's uh, a little different. It's mm-hmm. it's it's way more gay. I guess <laughs> it's like a gayer air. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible. Yeah, but just just fucked out. Fantastic. So if they're in your neck of the woods, I highly recommend uh, our listenership hitting up a show. Well, you have to explain exactly how you happened across them. Oh, it's a little. It's like uh, little bits and pieces on the interwebs. Here gay and bar. And a gay bar, yeah, my my favorite gay bar. They were, some uh, some uh, it. loving on the DL. <laughs> shh, shh, don't let it out, man. Come on, me and the Republicans, we got to keep this in the closet. <laughs> All, right. All right, so uh, this week our film is the 1988 anime classic Akira. Plot rundown: This is a nice short one for Mark. Uh, Akira is based on the manga comic book by Katsuhiro Atomo. Uh, the story is set in the post-apocalypse. 
post-apocalyptic community of Neo-Tokyo, Tetsuo is a fiercely individualistic member of a scroungy motorcycle gang, uh, the Capsules, led by a boyhood friend, Canada. Not Canada, but Canada, like the country, right? Canada. Canada, okay. Uh, the despotic authorities, the robot-like police, and even the cycle gangs pursue Tetsuo when he's bombarded with a new insidious energy source that has rendered him telekinetic. There you go. That's it. That's pretty good. Uh, so did Otomo direct the film as well? I can't quite remember. Uh, he did. Uh, yeah, he, did. he directed by Katsuhiro Otomo and Ruyari Robinson. Well, that sounds like a white guy. I don't know who that Hoffman. dude is. Yeah, I guess maybe his mom was whatever. Anyway, so uh, Akira, where do we start with Akira? Akira is uh, uh, well. I mean, I hadn't seen Akira in quite a while, and I tried to get back into the um, manga that I never finished reading. There's sort of an eight book series. It was originally released as comic book sort of periodic 2000 2000 pages of manga according to uh yeah it's in eight volumes actually i have seven of the eight and i think i've only read through maybe the fifth this was way back in college and i read the first one it was fine but it really didn't catch me and i really couldn't get back into it and it's interesting that i don't know maybe it's something about being older but this I'm not sure this film hits me that strongly any longer. Maybe it's the fact that it's all hand-drawn graphics and it's not quite as slick and as stylish as some of the new uh, well uh, computer-generated uh, cartoons or uh, anime yeah. can do. Especially when you can see they're doing a lot of hand-drawn sort of simulated movement through geometry, which is fun. It's sort of neat like watching old practical special effects in movies you can sort of appreciate the sheer amount of work it took to pan the camera past a building with a bunch of flying right. buttresses and hand draw all the geometry shifting right. of those buttresses it's pretty amazing but i don't know if the story just seems so fucking stupid <laughs> well as far as let's let's step through each one of those points that you made i don't know did you we i think we saw it together but the uh, new I don't know. I call it new, but shit, man. It's probably five to six years old now. The Appleseed anime. With oh, that in- we did see that. Why did we see that? It's sort of weird. I actually it- watched it again the uh, like about two years ago on Netflix, and it was all right. Well, I guess. okay. As most anime can, the the story is convoluted, sort of abstract. Uh, or either that or a Western audience doesn't really get it, whatever. And anyway, but uh, overly complicated, maybe that's the point. But that first scene, just from a pure animation point of view, where you have that mix of computer animation and, and traditional anime, uh, that was crazy shit. I just remember watching that first 10 minutes, and I don't think I gave a shit about the rest of the movie, but that first 10 minutes was like kind of bleeding edge current anime you know, it's just fucking robots and shit blowing up. But uh, Akira, I recalled how much I just to to take it even further. I recall how much I really enjoyed Pacific Rim, just from yeah. a, a strictly childlike wonder at the at the at the lights and at the light show that was in front of me, and not for any other reason. Right? Yeah. Very. Uh, very. Yeah. It's sort of kid like fodder i mean and i guess that's maybe how um akira hit me even though i was in college when i finally saw it just sort of the lights i mean there's some really 
there's some really great pieces of hand-drawn animation in here. And some of the sort of, uh, of course, the motorcycle shapes, skate skiing at the beginning is probably super famous. Well, if you're like me, and I'm sure you were, you you watched a lot of uh, morning television, Saturday morning cartoons on the local TV stations. And it was... By uh, the power of Grayskull! Yeah, you had the He-Man. But then you also had... uh, the bastardized Macross series that was oh, on like Robotech? KSTW. Fucking Robotech. Yeah. So you had like Robotech. And then even before that, when I was in grade school, uh, they were pumping through the old Star Blazers. Oh, and Star so, Blazers is great. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm going to take you on endless tangents tonight because I am totally fucking bedraggled. All right. Um, they are making. They're currently in the middle of having these. Um, they've taken the Star Blazers and done live action movies in sort of a multi part series in Japan. And I think okay. they're about halfway through it, and they're supposed to be pretty good, but they haven't released them to the U.S. yet. The idea is that they're going to do a, a, a they're going to dub it or sub it and right. put it out here, like straight to DVD, once they have the whole series complete. But I've heard good things about it. Okay, uh, it has a bizarre. Uh, concept. It's like an old World War II uh, battleship has been. Oh, it's the battleship a, Yamato, the original battleship Yamato. Yeah, the from big honking, supersized, biggest battleship in the world that was sunk in its first battle by the U.S. near the end of World War II. Rises again, you know. I, I think. Okay, so let's. Uh, the, the thing about, I want to say about Japan culturally. And uh, is it's defined by World War II, really, uh, which is obvious today. Uh, and one big component of that, and I think something Japan – why Japan is a weird country, and I haven't been there, but it's weird culturally. There's a lot of strange things about it uh, that I guess don't make a lot of sense even to neighboring countries, let alone us here in the Western world, is it's a post-apocalyptic country. And that's kind of hard for a lot of us to grasp, especially in the United States, who have never had to live through a complete, utter firebombing and nuclear obliteration of your country to somehow find an identity afterward and build up after the ashes here. And so, you know, whether it's Godzilla, which is like a nuclear, uh, you know, byproduct uh, coming ashore and stomping down Tokyo, or Akira completely imploding, exploding the entire city of Tokyo to create Neo Tokyo in 1988. It's all kind of part of the same meme, and I don't really understand it. I don't know if you understand it, but it seems to be like a Japanese thing, this sort of obsession with uh, not necessarily – well, I guess it's destruction and rebuilding – and uh, is it well, like I a think sh- maybe Akira is sort of I think the end of that part of the national identity. I think that modern Japanese people they're so far removed from World War II, especially as young people are over two generations removed. That I think this sort of fascination with apocalypses or apocalypses. I'm not sure what the plural apocalypse. I, <laughs> I think I think it's maybe dying out, and certainly the story, at least as it's presented in the film of Akira, is certainly a reflection of that. I'm not sure in the long run how much that will really define Japan. I think 
think Japan's probably its biggest definition. Not to not to shit all over your point, but I think shit all over. A, lar- man. a large away. part of its national identity is its is- its long, long isolationist history. Well, that's part of it, obviously. I think I mean, it's that's... a big part of the national identity, and I think in a way, sort of this idea of the apocalypse is somewhat dampening over the years. I don't think it's as big as it used to be as a, as a, you know, something that's on people's minds constantly, especially as the older generation dies. I mean, all the world war two vets are dropping like flies. I mean, how many are there left really? And the same, it's the same in Japan too. I'm sure. Interesting thing though, is that Japan is facing sort of a slow apocalypse as we speak. I, there was some guardian article. I think even Bill Maher mentioned it on, uh, his hackery program real time last night uh, when he, it was some article about how Japanese aren't fucking anymore. Like kids aren't fucking, they're just not doing it. They're not interested in it. I don't know how that even works that I you think, can you sure culturally fucking, I neuter. Think it might be reproducing. Not so much. No, it's, busy. it's like, it's, it's like, like getting totally busy fu- without. No, it's like fucking too. I don't even, I Have can't you find seen some of their pillows. They got some pretty sexy pillows over there. I wouldn't mind well, some of that. They want to cre- they want to create fuckable robots. That seems like the end all be all, you know. And, so I'm I, sorry, that's not the end all be all. <laughs> For Japan, man, I think you'd fit in. I think you need you, to move. I mean, a fuckable robot that would be uh, fucking amazing. You know, because you're always going to be in that uncanny valley. You're always going to be fucking a robot. <laughs> you're never going to be uh, not even it on the how best good of drug. A robot it is. Not even in the best drug in the world are you ever going to fantasize that it's anything more than a hunk of plastic and metal and lubricant, sadly. I'm sorry to uh, burst well, your cum I, bubble. I, I'd be totally fine with it. I think I can get over that. <laughs> Mark's on board. <laughs> I, might, I might get a little pang of conscious in my refractory period. It'll give me 10, 15 minutes, I'll get over that. Yeah, when there's no when you when you engage in pillow talk and you get Siri on the other side of it, and you're like, ah, I just it's just not. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't get it. I thought I got nothing done now. Just a wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to Akira. You, you said, "What the fuck is the plot about?" And I guess we I, just talked about that. It's about, no, like, we didn't talk obsession. about. It's about an obsession with with the apocalypse. Well. I'd say it's more than that. And okay, so for starters, uh, what always gets me about sci-fi is that for some reason, psychic telekinetic business, ha- excuse me, has a salient into the whole sci-fi world, even though it's completely unplausible and magical. Metaphysical BS. Well, yeah, because I read uh, one of Philip K. Dick's more f- most famous books. I would say Ubik which is about, like, psychics and counter-psychics. It's a whole thing. And reading it, I was just like, why is the whole psychic telekinetic thing uh, mixing up with science fiction when it's just pure fantasy and magic? There's It's the same plausibility as, like, a pyro. What do you call those? Pyro-telekinetic? Whatever the hell Carrie is. Or like Stephen a King's witch Carrie. riding around on a broom. Same shit. I don't. I don't get well, why do we. Do you allow remember it. the other big uh, pyro, psychic, emotional energy? Uh, it was the Final Fantasy movie. Oh yeah, remember with that the, like CG ghost. Movie? Yeah, ghost, the, ghost something something something. 
the ghost Final creatures. Fantasy. I just remember like like weird lizards flying through the air. That, it was a pretty uh, cool movie, but it had this whole like scientists have discovered psycho energy and they were able to harvest <laughs> it to a really cheap renewable energy. But right. oh no, we've been invaded by psychic monsters that live in another dimension. Yeah. So why why psychic powers always gets a pass? It's sci-fi. because you can sit down as a, as a screenwriter and go, I want like a sci-fi movie, but I don't know anything about science. I know. <laughs> Let's go metaphysics and we'll and we'll couch it in a lab coat. I know. Yeah, right. That we'll put a bunch of is. scientists a bunch of scientists will sit around and study it. Uh, like they study Akira and yeah. uh, vivisect and dissect and uh, and uh, you know have some sort of modulator that allows one to view the oral power of uh, a psychic entity, you know, in sort of this computerized construct, and that's the same as sci-fi. But that's what Akira is. It's well, that's it's, the problem. That's the problem with all this metaphysical stuff. It's just it's a week out for somebody who doesn't know anything about science. To write science fiction. So are we calling Otomo out as a hack on this one? Well, are he's we... just, I think in a way he's doing what so many other writers do when they try to do science fiction, but they don't have any understanding of basic facts about how the, the rules of the universe. And so they just go totally against, I mean, go ahead. I mean, great science fiction writers start out with what we know and they go into the unknown without contradicting what we know. In any terrible way, but this all right. this metaphysical stuff, they're basically throwing all the rules out the window, and we can do whatever we want. We're all connected okay. to a infinite energy that we can or can't uh, control, and we can do anything we want. So, well, let's, the writer do anything they want with the story. It's sort of weak sauce. It is weak sauce. I, I don't want to dog Akira for it's a bad movie. That. Let's just be honest. No, no <laughs> it's a terrific movie. Fuck you, man. <laughs> Fucking sour ass. Come on. Uh, it's, uh, I, I think, well, it makes a point. It, they, they try, Atomo makes, I yeah, guess, what, a con- What exactly is the point? Well, I was watching it and uh, trying to sort of, you know, crush and extract out, I guess, like Tetsuo when he crushes his girlfriend in one of his blobs of flesh. Oh, trying to get that, the that is what it's, Boy, I'll tell you, talking about somebody who gets the short, yeah, Cowrie, man. Stick, she gets fucking like stripped, fucked. stripped, punched in the face, fucking squished to death by her monolithic, look, engorged titan of a boyfriend. I like punching fifteen-year-old girls in the face every now and again, but I'm not going to crush them in the middle of a bunch of organs into a soup. Come on, I got some <laughs> limits here. <laughs> into your into your cheesy flabs, just crush. <laughs> oh, sad. That is just disgusting. Poor Kaori. I don't. This movie is really mean to its women. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of the state of the art in most anime? Don't they lack a significant, uh, I guess, feminine perspective with most of it? I mean, isn't that sort of the deal? Uh, the tentacle yes, porn and all. Yeah, tentacle porn. Just I like the Nazi fuck there. machines, if we're going to use an example. But <laughs> tentacle porn, okay. So, okay. So, yeah, you know, you, you get what you get, I guess, if you're a female character. But it's, that. you know, I think one thing, one nice thing about this, and I know we are we are going way off on a tangent just because you said the word Kaori, is that uh, I like the way Odomo presents it. It really, it's so much violence to women in anime is played off just sort of like sort of a hack and slash gore film where you can't take it seriously. But when you see 
a Kaori with a busted jaw and her shirt ripped off and, you know, with a black eye, you know, you feel it. It makes, I don't know, well, it hits you in the gut a little bit. And you get, like, the emotionally damaged uh, feeling from her brief depictions on screen. Definitely. Yeah, you feel sorry for her. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the saddest parts of this whole movie. Like her weird pigeon-toed walk that, that they sketch her out as Well, that's sort her. of a Japanese thing. How is it? What yeah. is that? Like, don't it's don't look a, at my don't look a, at my crotch. No, it's an element of the feminist, uh, the feminine ideal in Japanese culture. Uh, okay, all right. Mark knows way more. He studied a little bit of Japanese. I have studied nothing. So, uh, I've just you know, people smile. do all. It's like, why is everybody in the U.S. make duck faces now? Duck faces? What the fuck? What are you talking about? Anybody under thirty, whenever any woman under thirty, when they're going to take a picture or a selfie, they put their they purse their lips out really big, like they had lip injections. Oh, oh duck face. Oh, oh, did you say fuck face or duck no, face? No, duck face. Oh, okay, duck face. Fuck face. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Fuck that face. <laughs> right. It's just a mean people you. make. Who knows what it means? It's just what All people right. do. Uh, so, uh, the okay, getting back to our point, the the. Okay, we talked about the theme of sort of this post-apocalyptic cultural identity that Japan has. Uh, but I was trying to get more into maybe sort of the uh, maybe the philosophy of destruction and rebirth and all that kind of stuff. And well, I think I think that sort of gets us into another aspect of the film. And I have a feeling that maybe in the, in the manga this is a little more of a central point, but. The idea of sort of some of the benefits of, of war, like a winter, and it allows for renewal. You know, you, right. burn, you burn down the forest, but you'll be replaced with new and exciting growth. And war is a little bit the same way. And we get, in a way, that part of the story is sort of central to the colonel, who's a really important character in this film. He's in almost oh, every the, scene. Oh, the one we heard at the beginning. Yeah. And his... his, his feeling he's seen the destruction and he's seen the ripening of the fruit and he's seen the rotting of the fruit yeah uh well the thing about i would say uh as i've gotten older i i tend to uh oh what's the right word i wouldn't say chastise my inner nostalgic but i do i kind of have gotten maybe loathe of my nostalgia as I've gotten older. And I guess there's a personal nostalgia and then there's sort of a pop culture nostalgia. And I think when I see pop culture nostalgia out on display, you know, where uh, I don't want to pull up an example. There's tons of it, but where we kind of regurgitate the past usually happens in 20 year cycles. I, I can't, I tend to get like, just, I don't know, like cho- uh, fingernails on a chalkboard. I just kind of like hate that sort of crutching on the past and it's always nice to sort of burn away the old and uh, especially when you're creating art and it's hard to do because everything that you do artistically is built upon uh, influences from the past but I think there is sort of a, a nice postmodern element of just corrupting the past I guess being irreverent towards it to build something new and in Akira, you just get sort of a literal interpretation of that, of a total, complete destruction of the old Tokyo to build something that, I guess, is a complete 
new uh, entity that doesn't really have any correlation to the past, isn't sort of built on the same traditions, but is something completely new and fantastic. I don't know. Maybe I'm just BSing. But well, I don't think the movie's really clear, so I don't think there's any reason we should be clear on it. It certainly talks about the excitement of renewal, and it's nice to be busy and have a purpose in your life. And when all the work that's necessary is done, all you're left with is paperwork and, and recreation. And neither of those two things without real hard, productive work are satisfying, I think, to the human soul. Well, as I've gotten older, as a writer especially, I'm much more willing to uh, destroy, get not destroy physically, but sort of a, as a possibility, like an old novel that I've been humping for years. You know, a lot of people will stay on that novel and just hump the shit out of it and rewrite it and, you know, somehow milk it for all it's worth. When what they should really be doing is putting that fucker into a drawer and forgetting about it completely and then moving on and coming up with new concepts and, and, and new ideas and using that experience uh, more as a learning experience and less as a vehicle for the future. And so I guess I was trying to tune into that a little bit watching the end of Vakira, you know, sort well, of this just complete obliteration of the present and all its problems. Well, uh, Matt, could you just elaborate just a little bit? You said that that's what people should do. They should not hump the same idea for too long. Learn what that you can and move on. But you didn't. You didn't answer the question. Why should people do that? Why? I think it's why because. Do you, why do you do it? And why do you recommend it to others? Well, I do it personally because I don't think success is written in that formula. I don't think there's anything there. I think it's. Uh, uh, an anchor that holds you back from from progressing and moving forward is this sort of uh, belief in perhaps an obsolete endeavor that you should you know oh well there's something here I I, I spent so much time mm. I spent waste too much time in this to give it up now and he's like you know it's not it's really not how progress is made it's not a, a it's not an investment of time it's it's mm-hmm. it's a it's it's sort of taking that time for what it is and then moving forward and this so this is sort of a basic um axiom of modern business management that when you're looking at the state of your company and your projects you should never look at how much money you've sunk into something you should only ever look at what it's worth at the moment yeah, correct. I mean, you should just just go ahead and look at your balance sheets. And to use a, a I guess a often humped, <laughs> cliched ter- uh, phrase is you're humping you know, everything today. Just humping, man. It's fucking. I don't know, man. Like a dog. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, is uh, the old adage? You know, if if you're if you're in a hole, stop digging. That kind of thing. I know it's kind of cheap, but that's sort of the getting to the point of it a little bit yeah no i think you're right so anyway i was trying to kind of absorb that watching akira and sort of get into the i guess the philosophy of it a little bit more and seeing if there was anything there for me this watching i don't think there's anything there for you this watching but maybe i I, I see it i mean i guess what is i guess the rebirth is nice and it's fun of the the rebuild a city but 
Why do all those people need to die? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened to everybody in Tokyo. There, I mean, why did you have to just bl- bloat up all those buildings real good? I mean, and remember the first time it happened, it led to World War Three. They go into it more in, in, the, in what I've read of the manga, okay. that uh, they blamed the Akira event on uh, a nuclear device being exploded in, in uh, Tokyo, which led to uh, a worldwide uh, thermonuclear war. Okay, that wasn't really explained at all. In, no, not in, not in, in the, the film. movie, no. But yeah, so th- they sort of covered it up, the whole incident, this research that went bad and destroyed Tokyo within a war, and the fog of war, everybody forgot what happened, except for a few elite uh, politicians. Right. Yeah, and uh, you get the impression of it, but uh, uh, then you get this hyperkinetic, uh, stylized, cyberpunk vision of Tokyo, which... I think hit me at the right time when I watched Akira back in the early 90s because you and I were like playing cyberpunk and, you know, we were kind of into that whole thing. And so it kind of built a little bit of the uh, world around uh, sort of that game a little bit for me. I think that's why I liked it a lot. You know, it had some really awesome sort of style, especially the bikes. The bikes are just fantastic in this. The whole concept of uh uh Kaneda's two-wheel drive crazy cycle that even has reverse on it which seems awesome oh, it's supposed Is to it? have two-wheel drive oh it does have reverse i never <laughs> realized that he's power reversing up that huge block of cement i know in the end could you yeah. imagine your bike having reverse would you would you there ever need it there are a few very large touring bikes that have an electric reverse they don't really? actually have reverse in the gearbox they okay. just have a little electric motor that you can power up to reverse. Uh, yeah, no, it's he's just so heavy and bulky. I mean, I'll tell you, if you got to go up a hill backwards in your bike, you're fucked. That's just <laughs> part of riding a bike. Yeah, this. Well, he's burning out with his. Uh, I guess it's a BMW. I don't know if that was the marking on it or not. I couldn't really tell, but uh, I, I didn't see that anywhere. I mean, you know, he. It just seems like having a bike like that would be pretty expensive. I mean, the motorcycle riding is insanely fanciful. Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, uh, it's it's really... You don't ride a bike like that. I mean, at one point, he fucking turns that bike sideways and skips to a stop. I don't... (laughs) I mean, maybe on a dirt bike, on dirt, you might be able to pull some shit like that off, but there's no way you could do it on concrete. I, I just don't see how it'd be physically possible. It would take it's such v- an amazing amount of balance. Well, it's very stylistic. To- the you only can't thing drift I- motorcycles on the road. Ah, uh, yeah, no. Well, you would. You would obviously. Uh, what's the well, you right could, word? but you just drift right onto your side. Right. Yeah. You would. Well, you would catch right, and then you would flip the down road. You would, no. You would never- basically, your wheel would fall out from underneath you as you as you were sliding. You'd lay it down. Yeah. Basically, well, he has his foot out, man. He's, he can stop it. <laughs> He's got his foot out. Fucking yeah, that's like the only thing with his foot out is going to do is give him a compound fracture of the ankle. <laughs> well, then I was thinking, well, maybe there's some sort of gyroscopic stabilizer inside sure. that bike. You know, yeah, that maybe there's some, some metaphysical battery in there. Fucking <laughs> psychic powered fuel. Giving that shit a go. Yeah, uh, I mean, boy. That's, there's some really irresponsible motorcycle riding. Which makes me think a little bit about let's not, something topical that's All in right. the news. Is the the whole New York City uh, motorcycle, uh, what was it called? Like Crazy oh. Stuntas uh, motorcycle 
group that uh, tore that beat one the fuck Asian out of that guy, American guy, out of his car and beat the shit out of him. I know. Do you, you think it was because he was? I think it was because he was Asian. I was thinking that. I was no, like, oh, man. no, it was. It was because. I know. I mean, he have ran you, over have you given that any thought of what the whole? I mean, some people I think are sort of a, the the public in general is just sort of amazed that that people could behave like that. I'm and not. The, and not at all. The idea is so clear. Is that why? Why my question is why don't people behave like that more often? I well, I, I, especially man, you're a biker. Come yeah. on, don't you have a, don't you ride with a chip on your shoulder? Don't you? Get livid when a car Look, I, doesn't I go, see you. I walk out my front door with a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> well, I, I mean, getting cut off by a car. I mean, isn't that isn't that a personal offense almost when you're riding a bike? Because really, when you get cut off by a car, you're that car through its negligence or whatever is really pull, putting a gun to your head in a way when you're on a bike because you could totally you could totally kill you. I mean, you could kill you easily and he would only feel a slight bump isn't there sort of a, a, a yeah, yeah and, the feel the feeling is mortal terror exactly not so, not not uh i don't when somebody if if i if i'm put in a dangerous situation that usually i would i would put myself into because i would be riding too fast or too dangerously but if somebody put me into a dangerous situation i'm more concerned about my own little head not being popped over like, open like a ripe melon versus yeah. uh, I'm going to, what am I going to do? Ride up beside the guy and kick him while I'm riding down the road? There's, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to do other than to chalk it up and be glad you, you didn't get ran over. Or you could wait to a stoplight and then totally take him out of his car and beat the shit out of him. With your but that's, that's not, that's not what this it. incident was about. That's not what this New York City, the New York City incident, I think the thing it's really about, it's, it's really the exact same thing with these kids. They are... All those people that were riding bikes are guys with like minor criminal records. They're driving a bunch of bikes. They were like a lot of them didn't have the driver's license. They had false tags on their bikes. They were living at the margins of society. These are disenfranchised young men. So these are basically like the Tetsuos and Kanadas yeah, of They're New York exactly City. the same thing. They they're, they're disenfranchised but they still have enough money in our modern society to have a bike. Sure. Right? Yeah. You yeah. still have enough money, and it doesn't take much to have yourself a, a mid-range sports bike that could do wheelies and shit. They're not that expensive. So Atomo was slightly prescient here, giving Canada, who's like a high school punk, uh, a pretty sweet, what we would consider state-of-the-art motorcycle. Well, he steals it. They say it in the movie. But that's not what. Oh. That's not the point I'm making. I'm point, the point I'm making is about the, the risk to society by disenfranchising young men. Disenfranchise yeah. young men get involved in crime. They act out because they have no power in society. And so they act out. They take what power they can, these sort of petty means, by getting together with 50 or so of their bros on their inexpensive motorbikes and, dis- and spending the afternoon violating the enormous code of stupid traffic laws and taking the guy <laughs> who pulls down two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and drives a fucking a hundred thousand dollar land, land rover, rover that has terrible that has terrible upkeep costs and what they do is they try to push him off to the side of the road like they do everybody else going up the west side highway on manhattan this guy he doesn't want to get pushed around by a bunch of low lives which they are low life disenfranchised young men Correct. And he tells them to go fuck off 
and they threaten him and he gets worried. And he takes off in his Land Rover. Lo and behold, that Land Rover will move over a small sports bike and it's rider pretty easily. Which it did. It, like, Which ran it does. Over some dude. And yeah. they, and they, uh, so he didn't, he didn't respect their authority. He didn't understand the danger of disenfranchised young men. And society thinks, well, what's the problem? Oh, they're just some bad apples. No, this is a, this is a systemic problem with society disenfranchising. It's the, it's the main problem of it is, the wage inequality in the country, it's just going to get worse and worse as we allow our wage inequality to get higher and higher. And we allow young employ- young men not to be employed, and we and we make it hard for people to get higher education. So, okay. It's, we're so, just going to see and, more and more of this in the future until there's a popular uprising. So in just the, the way it in, goes. It, so in the movie, that's kind of prescient then, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, – that's who that that's the 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 I guess the culture uh, around which this film revolves is this group of I guess disenfranchised young men, uh, bike gangs, and uh, in sort of this Tokyo society. And I don't know much about. Is this making a political commentary? Maybe on Japanese modern Japanese uh, I think society. It probably is though. There'd really be no way to see it without growing up with that really. society. But, but I think we can see it in the U.S. I mean, look, what do you expect people with time on their hands and energy that should be out doing good work? They should be out making war or the moral equivalent of war. That's what so, young men need to do. So it seems like uh, almost what you're saying is that it's no fault in the film that the vector for this insane power is is Tetsuo, who's like a low-life motorcycle gang member, disfected youth who <laughs> can basically do the worst. He's he's the person in society capable of doing the absolute worst to everything. He has the motivation. He has the, uh, yes, the lack of inhibition to, uh, with this insane amount of power, just go fucking nuts and uh, turn into this gigantic, uncontrollable blob. Which, by the way, I... I from an energy's perspective, I really like that. You know, speaking kind of from a pure physics realm, is when you have a ton of energy, and this is what blew my mind when I was studying. Oh, I forget. Was it special relativity? I never studied general relativity. It was too hard. But special relativity is when you get an insane amount of energy, like when you take a particle and you just pump it as with as much energy and get it going as fast as possible, it starts creating mass, which I always just find bizarre that you just start well, it's matter and antimatter and it really wouldn't manifest as just blobs of flesh but still i kind of like that in the movie i was just so much energy that it's just turning into mass and blobs and he's just turning this gigantic uncontrollable devastating organic mechanical blob that just consumes everything i don't know I found yeah it cool. it's sort of amazing you know if you have all that energy pretty lucky for everybody in tokyo that it wasn't turned into some sort of kinetic energy it was actually turned into matter turned into imagine those tons and tons of water and carbon turning right into energy yeah equals mc squared folks it's uh yeah that's 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 basically i don't know if we're segueing neo tokyo neo tokyo reap what it sows and that incident in new york is our society reaping what it's sown so uh, besides the fact that uh, yeah, so it sounds like I was thinking of prescient points in Akira. Uh, you know, this is almost what twenty-five year old movie now, and 
you know, besides the fact that the uh, Tokyo is going to get the Olympics in 2020, which they seem to be building the uh, Olympic Stadium for. Am I wrong on that one? Is that what they, they are building an Olympic Stadium? Though actually, it's it's uh, they had had a the the biggest most expensive stadium plant planned to be built. I think the cost was going to be three point five billion dollars, and they've actually just decided to send it out for uh, scaling back to make it a little more reasonable cost. So you're talking about the real. Tokyo Olympics, right? The real 2020 Olympics? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, but this in this movie, like the Olympics are showing up, right? Because the the stadium's under construction. Yeah. uh, That's kind of cool. It's kind of crazy. You know, they're not burying the remains, the the cryogenic remains of some psychic quasi-god underneath it. But still, you know. The only thing that would have been better is if the date of the destruction wasn't... um, uh, August 24th, but September 11th. Oh, yeah. That would have been Man. something. Huh? I think uh, Tomo, I think Dick Cheney would have stolen him and mined his brain for intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they have Cheney's old heart in a cryogenic container underneath, like, the National Observatory in Washington, D.C. Oh, fucking Cheney. Uh, <laughs> fucking the anti-Akira. I don't know, that guy. Anyway, but... So, uh, I want to talk about something. Okay. How go did ahead. you? How did you see this film? Uh, I watched it in the dub. I watched it English dub. Um, I did too, my... and I had never seen the English dub. I, I went and uh, rented um, the DVD from Scarecrow, and it was a, a 2000 release, uh, sort of a 2000 remaster. I don't know if there's been another remastering. I don't know. I don't think there has. This. I mean, the, the the transfer was all right. Um, you could tell you could tell all the hand drawn nature because of you could tell the different layers of uh of you know when they put the different drawings on top of each other and photographed them through different plastic layers you could sort of see some of the dust and stuff sort of be neat to see this movie go in and digitally remaster the film I wonder if they ever have they may or may not so but uh, I thought I oh, was I um I I ripped it in both the dubbed and the subbed form and I just started watching the the dub because I, hadn't, I don't think I'd seen it before, and in a way, I I, I, the, I didn't watch the sub again. I watched the dubbed, and I, I'm usually always a sub guy, but in a way, I think having it dubbed in this animation where you really want to pay attention to all the little detail on these yeah. hand drawn frames, and the voice acting was pretty decent. Well, they redid the voice acting. I forget. They, there was an original. Yeah, I think dub. my VHS copy had the shitty, and then they, version that I looked at it at one time and I didn't like, or somebody right. had the VHS. And they remastered it with a new dub. So and it was pretty decent. And be be quite honest, with you, I think that watching this dub version is is superior than watching the sub version. Just so you can really watch the characters' facial emotions, because there's a lot of hand drawn detail in this that you would miss otherwise. Well, it had some cool... I, the thing I noticed about it the most was, I guess, the brilliant use of color. This is one of the first, I guess, one of the groundbreaking incidents, or incidents, groundbreaking uses of darkness in anime. Anime is traditionally not that dark, and I think that's more for coloring and, and style, but Atomo made a conscious effort to go dark, so it's going to be a city at night most all the time. And so they really had to exercise, uh, I guess, an animation palette, that wasn't really <clears throat> conventional. Like they had to kind of go outside of the the, the, the bounds of, of industry 
to generate some new types of, of uh, techniques to get the color in there, especially with some of that bright neon. Um, so, uh, but the fire and smoke, the just astounding amount of detail, because there's shit on fire all over the place in this movie. There's like something always burning in the background. There's always something smoking. And I was just thinking just the ability and to make it look that good. That's kind of, to me, it seems like the the thing about this movie that I think is, is just adds such an incredible, I guess, literally atmosphere to it. It's just the, the, that sort of, you know, attention to detail, especially with the fire and the smoke. It's all it's like almost in every frame. Well, the thing is, you'll never see this detail again. Nobody will ever, except for maybe Studio Ghibli, some of their films, they still okay. hand-drawn, but never so dark. Um, people just don't animate like this any longer. It's too expensive. And, I know, and it's weird because it's going to be, like you said, uh, like watching traditional uh, special effects. Or going to be, like the anime crowd is going to begin, or maybe they already have, I'm not a big anime guy, but maybe they've already gotten nostalgic to, to I guess, use uh, use the term in, in <coughs> its proper context. Well, uh, I mean, tw- just think about Ghost in the Shell, which we which we reviewed. They didn't. There's not one tenth the amount of drawing in that movie than there is in this movie. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of computer technique being. There's employed. some computer stuff. It's a lot of hand drawn stuff, but nowhere near the care that this movie has. Nowhere near it. This is a this is a singular achievement of hand drawn animation, which is crazy when you're watching it because uh, you're just. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to get the perspective right, to get, you know, I mean, there's such mastery of perspective in this movie, drawing, getting the camera angles down and drawing that kind of, uh, you know, because there's no models. They're not using models. They're not sketching from models. They're not sketching from computer animation. They're sketching, you know, from the mind's eye and uh, brilliant stuff. I, and it, I just, it's it's kind of sad that's probably gone away. It's too expensive, like you said, and it's easier to crank out stuff, uh, you know, using computers that kind of mimes or mimics hand drawn. I don't know if they do that much. I've it can seen be good, but, um, that, but it's it's never going to be the same. This is this is a piece of history, a piece right. of historical filmmaking that we won't see repeated. So before the review, is there any uh, specific things that we want to talk about that didn't make sense about Akira that uh, we found interesting? I did like the fact that – what were the, the little kids called? They were sort of the surviving I mean, subjects. Kyoko, Takashi, and Masaru? Yeah. Three? Yeah, those were the three, 25, 26, and 27. So being Akira. Their psychic powers, they froze them in a state of development, right? And then um, you have a feeling that actually they talk about I think they elaborated on it in the manga that has more to do with the medication that allows them to keep their powers in check. It's a sort of a oh, side effect. OK, so it's it's all it's a byproduct of whatever they were given Tetsuo at the time to keep it to try to keep him. From, yeah, the idea uh, is that, you know, to avoid another Akira type event that uh, they put him on quite a regime of medications. Uh, there was one scene I wanted to talk about, and it was uh, in the dub. It probably made less sense than in the uh, subtitle version, but it was Kay and 
Kannada talking about sort of the origins of, uh, I guess, human evolution and how we all got to this point. Oh, when they're sitting in jail after the yeah. in the nursery, yeah. And so I was, tr- you know, and sadly I started drifting into the ditch. I was, with, but it was more metaphysical bullshit. No, I know, but I was drifting into the ditch with George Lucas's total fucking butt fuckery of the whole force idea. He just totally took his his most awesome concept and just fucking just. Can we? Just can we stuck his dry a, thumb in its ass? It's can just, we institute oh. a no Lucas rule on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, right. that henceforth, we'll never utter the name of George Gregory Lewis Lucas again. Did you not? But did you think that a little bit? Did you think a little bit of the force? I did. I didn't I think of midichlorians. It. I just thought, oh, here's some more metaphysical physical right. crap. Okay, it's all thrown into the same big yeah, hopper. Yeah, of it was bullshit. all a bunch of BS. Okay. All right. So that was the one. I was like, oh man, is this like you know? It doesn't, is this make, like, doesn't make any sense. I just would assume George Lucas ripped off Akira, which was the safe bet, you know, for that idea. But, uh, you know, post. Look, you don't post, need to uh, rip off that bad of an idea. You can make that bad of an idea. Any little piece of of nasty old moth-ridden cloth. <laughs> That's true. Uh, okay. I think we're ready for the review. So we passed over uh, Jay Cox's uh, Time Magazine review and went down to a familiar face, Janet Moslin from the New York Times. Uh, Amazingly, we couldn't find an Ebert review of this. Uh, If he did review it, uh, it's not on his website, and uh, either that or I'm a retard. Um, So Moslin focuses mostly on the animation, which I think... If you're looking at a film buff, that's probably what you would focus on, not the metaphysical storyline BS. Yeah, unless you're like a hardcore fanboy nerd who... Yeah. I hate those types. Anyway. Mm -hmm. She says this movie is a phenomenal work of animation with uh, thrilling artwork and a wide array of bizarre characters. Uh, She says that Otomo paints the movie with... paints the post... Nuclear civilization with a clean, mean beauty. I like that. Clean, mean beauty. Um, and that Otomo avoids uh, the gaudiness of much ordinary animation. I think maybe that's what you're talking about with using a darker palette. Yeah. She says she uses, he uses a wide uh, range of colors in thoughtful and interesting ways. Um, she mentions the uh, billowing smoke as uh, something that particularly impressed her in that uh, one of the more interesting scenes of animation, I think you're right. We didn't mention it was uh, when uh, the three uh, Kyoto Takashi, I mean, Kyoko uh, Takashi and Masaru come to uh, visit um, Tetsuo in his hospital room and try to, I don't know, kill him or something. Well, animating these huge children's toys out of debris found around his room. Yeah, what's kind and, of freaky well what's freaky about that is is that it seems like a psychotic drug fueled episode. Mm-hmm. But in actuality it's it's completely real because it's generated by the psychic minds of these three I guess strange children. So why they're it's bleeding really milk. beautiful where they have the three toys in miniature and then they then they become like composites using 
things that are found in the room. It's really haunting and yeah. beautifully done. Probably the most impressive piece, the most creative piece of animation in that whole film. And that weird sort of Tokyo pop kind of sound with the voices, I can't mimic it, but uh, it's just, it's totally creepy. It's like a, it's like a fever fuel nightmare, that scene. Yeah, it's right up there with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas stuff. And that's pretty much all Moslem has to say about the film, oh, which okay. I can't blame her. Uh, it's too bad she didn't talk about some of the elements of of uh, World War II on the psyche of of Japan. It seems like pretty low hanging fruit that you probably want to put a paragraph into. Well, yeah, so, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about a, that review. I mean, I guess you maybe wanted to focus on it as a piece of visual artwork, which it certainly is. That's sort of a big. That's a big bite to, there to you know consume and put into a review the whole Japanese identity with World War II and Hiroshima Nagasaki and all that good stuff. I don't really know. I mean, it's a mystery to me. Obviously, I'm not Japanese. don't know how it works. But, uh, you know, obviously you see regurgitations of it in Japanese pop culture time and time again. And less so, like you said, less so because the generation's dying out and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, where that comes from, I think it's definitely like an id sort of reptile brain kind of concoction that uh, it's just a meme. It's just a cultural focal point. I don't know if we have something analogous to it in the U.S., but it's mysterious. If anybody says 9-11, I'm going to kick him in the balls. It's like 9-11. I kick him right in the balls, (laughs) right in the ovaries if they're female, right in the fucking baby maker. (laughs) That was an an excuse uh, the Saudi... Uh, religious police were given about women driving is that uh, it wasn't good for their ovaries and they shouldn't do it. So. Well, it's not good for their ovaries when they get pulled out of their car and kicked in them. I bet the morality too. Police. That's kind of probably where they were coming from. You know, they kind of put putting going to the logical conclusion of that whole scenario. Anyway, okay. Uh, yeah, all right. Mediocre review. Nothing really. Anything more we want to say about the classic Akira? Uh, anything for the fanboys that may be listening in and really wanting some, I don't know, juicy nerdiness? Uh, if I ever watch this movie again, I'm going to watch it on Blu-ray and I'm going to be high. I'll, yeah, that's a good and idea. And that's the only condition under which I will watch, shall watch this film again. Oh, man, you know, I think I was realizing why people engage in psychotropic drugs and smoke marijuana and i think it's to kind of capture some of that long lost childlike wonder of of new things and you know like watching a cure for the first time or like when i was at this show with all this crazy imagery and stuff i was just like oh man you know you could smell pot everywhere because it's legal washington state now and i was just like if I as long could, as you're 25 feet from any doorway no, it was. Oh well, yeah. I guess it was twenty-five feet from a doorway inside. <laughs> In the inside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was I was thinking about how that's kind of what people are getting back to. They're kind of getting back to a childlike sense of wonder, which I guess I sort of get. But anyway, I don't know. Where I'm yeah, going it certainly didn't hit me as hard as it used to. That's too bad. So, that's probably becoming an old curmudgeon. I'm getting to be an old fucking angry guy who bitches about the pizzas that he orders <laughs> All right. anyway. oh, oh jesus okay. christ go oh, next week oh god 
Oh, why did Jesus. you do this to us? I don't. I don't even now, know why you did this to us. It's supposed oh, to be a, fun a wise podcast. man told me once that life is pain, and anybody that tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. And you, this you week don't... there will be pain as we are forced to watch. Yeah, but the John Waters classic, Pink Flamingos. I got it. I got it this yeah, week, and, and I ripped it live. already. And I took a, a look, a quick look through it, and uh, there was a, a fat uh, woman in a in a baby care a baby cage, like a like one of those things you put babies in in the front room so they don't get up to no good. There was pen. one part where somebody yeah. was filleting somebody with a limp dick. <laughs> Literally, like filleting you saw them. the limp. Yeah, dick. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the person's mouth. Uh, Wait, and there was that's other like X-rated uh, uh, porno. Yeah, we'll get ready for it, baby. If Plink Flamingos is X-rated porno? I well, wasn't aware. And um, all in a real lo-fi sort of uh, bad why? audio and like Super 8 camera. Fucking why, dude? But, you know, uh, I'm a- this is this is this is the price we pay for being the cult of Matt and Mark, the cult God. film review podcast. Oh. We must. We are legally required. To visit one of the greatest cult directors of all time, John Waters. I guess. And here we go. We got to go down the rabbit hole sometimes. And uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll pull something interesting out of it. Can you, can you like, I don't know. Can you, can you, can you give us about 10 guilty pleasures after this one? Because I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive a John Well, you know, the thing is, I, the thing is at a hundred, I release myself from all bonds. Okay, so you're all gonna... lifted. I'm going to just do. A, I'm going to do a fucking. I'm going to do all of John Carpenter's movies. Yeah, me in too. A, in a row. Yeah, let's do them all in a row. I say, <laughs> yeah, it's fuck everything else. I'm not all Kubrick's watch... movies in a row. I'm uh... not going to do any fucking silent movies. <laughs> I'm not. No more fucking French movies. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, fans? It's just going to get incredibly better after film 100. <laughs> Matt Marks. Uh... Uh, quality will improve vastly. But uh, uh, we got to go through hell, man. You know what they say when you're going through hell? Keep right. going. So this is kind of like the uh, the basic training of our film review uh, yeah. experience here. Yeah, then, we got uh, we got to have old times to talk about when things were bad, bad times <laughs> to reminisce about and laugh about. And post. <laughs> oh, Christ. All right, so next week. So uh, get your wives, get your girlfriends, get your mothers and fathers together. <laughs> Sit around, get a big bowl of popcorn and watch John Waters' Pink Flamingos this week. Fuck me. Bring the kids. Invite the neighbor children over. <laughs> All right, folks. Until next week. What? Canada! You're alive! Open the fucking window, computer. Jeez.
the fuck? I'm sorry. I've been in a bad mood all day. It's all right. Ah, Ebert. You and Miriam. You and Miriam. Oh, fuck, man. I was swearing and shitting and pissing all day. Were you you doing a project? I just... Just in a bad mood all day. I had a splitting uh, headache most of the day. Uh, like it was so bad that I actually ordered a pizza. I hadn't ordered a delivered pizza in so long, but I really? just could not even. I had to watch the movie, and I didn't feel like cooking anything. So I, uh, oh, man, it was terrible. I haven't had a, ba- a delivery pizza in a long time. Oh, What'd God. It was like Romeo's. It was something the flyer. I had a flyer in the mail, you know. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I don't want to fucking go anywhere. I don't want to fucking cook anything. I just want somebody to bring me a pizza. Oh, it was so bad. It reminded me old. Like, uh, I, I have to think. It's, the rest of it's in the fridge. Oh, watery, watery sauce, soggy, uh, soggy crust, cheap, salty meats on top of it. Absolutely terrible. Canned what? mushrooms. Oh. Well, who was the offending party? Who who's delivered this pizza uh, to you? Romeo's. Oh, fucking Romeo's. All right. No, that serves you right. Uh, Should have gone I, with Domino's. At least you know what you're getting. <laughs> 